and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10. What I want you to get from that scripture is that the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. I know we've heard that. So many people have preached on that. And, but what I want you to see is that prophecy has nothing to do with us. Prophecy has nothing to do with anything else but Jesus himself. The life of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus. It has to do with everything to do with who he is. And I tell people that when you get a prophetic word, the way to judge the prophetic word automatically is that does that prophetic word bring you closer to the love or loving Jesus Christ? Does it testify of Jesus himself in your life? Does it bring you closer to him? If it does not bring you closer to him, it is not a true prophetic word. And we're talking about here personal prophecy. Even when we do talk about uh, the other type of prophetic words, per, perhaps a prophetic word to a nation or prophetic word to uh, a church or group of people, whatever it is, does it testify of Jesus? If the answer is no, then it's not a true prophetic word. And the other thing that I add to the prophetic is that whatever it is that you use in the prophetic, does it align with the es eschatological theme of the book of Revelation? Because that is the ultimate prophetic word. Because if it does not align with the book of Revelation, then it's not a prophetic word doesn't matter who is prophesying it. If it does not align with the book of Revelation in itself, it is not a prophetic word. And it's very important that we understand that. And that's why I tell people, if you want to increase in the prophetic anointing, what more to get yourself into than to read the book of Revelation? In the book of Revelation itself, there are blessings for those who just read it, without even understanding it, you just read it, you get a blessing for those who hear it. And then for those who actually practice it and keep the words that are written in it, because that prophecy is from Jesus himself. Although we see that John is the one that described it, but it's the prophecy from Jesus, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And so it is very important that in order for us to really uh, develop prophetic teams, those prophetic teams must really be based in the foundation on who Jesus is and the testimony of Jesus. And the testimony of Jesus is a thing. There's the patience of Jesus. That's a thing. So the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And there's so much more in that that we can go into, but I want you to base that because that is the base level of the prophetic because everyone can prophesy, all may prophesy based on the fact that it's about Jesus. It's about getting closer to Jesus. According to Acts 2.17, the prophetic is one of the signs of the last days outpouring of the Spirit. 
all believers can prophesy based on 1 Corinthians uh, 14. We are encouraged in the word to passionately desire or to covet the spiritual gifts, but to especially desire that we would prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3. And so we see that desire is the magnet that attracts the prophetic anointing. And that's a quote by Dr. Stuart Patico. So it, when we desire the spiritual gifts, that draws in and that pulls, that hunger pulls the giftings and say, okay, all right. As a matter of fact, the way I operate is that I'm activated by the people that are hungry for the gift that is inside of me. It's the honor that is the conduit that allows for me to be able to flow. When there are people that are not hungry around me, there's not a lot of a pull. So what I do is I rather preach or teach to people that are uh, willing or are hungry than those who are not. And so those that are hungry are those who pull. If you're not hungry, then I don't I don't have the the the, the need to 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 pour out because I give my all. And I believe that we all should be that way. And so that hunger is the, what pulls, honors the conduit to that. If, 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 if the anointing was electricity, then the cables to that anointing would be honor. And so the prophetic flows in that same way. When you are accepted and received in that way as well, that's where you pull. And that's why even Jesus says that a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown because they have the familiarity spirit. This familiarity spirit actually works with and against the anointing because sometimes you can have people that are so familiar with you that they don't see it or they don't pull on it the right way. And there are some that it is good because of course, families and members, you know, you still, you know, you're so familiar with your parents, but you still respect them as your parents. And so there is that level there as well. And so, all right. So let's look at the definition of the Greek word for prophecy. And it is propheteo. Uh, Thayer's definition says, to prophesy, to be a prophet, speak forth by divine inspiration, to predict with the idea of foretelling future events pertaining especially to the kingdom of God, to utter forth to declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation, to break forth under sudden impulse in lofty discourse or praise of the divine counsel, under like prompting to teach, to refute, to reprove, to admonish, to comfort others, to act as prophet, discharge the prophetic office. A prophecy can be to foretell or to foretell, speaking the mind of God to encourage and build up the church. Now, that's what the definitions are according to what we just read. But I wanted to say this, when I was called to the prophetic office, the Lord didn't use those definitions. And there's a difference. And we're going to talk about all these difference. Just because you prophesy doesn't mean that you are a prophet. Just because you prophesy doesn't mean you have the gift of prophecy. Just because you prophesy doesn't mean that um, you've been prophesying a lot or that you have the experience too. And there are different levels of the prophetic. And there's also, uh, you know, different understanding of that. So for me, the gift, the prophetic gifting, which we see in 1 Corinthians is that it's not about 
prophesying to people that what prophecy is. Actually, prophecy in there. Okay, let's let's go back a little bit. So in the scripture, it says that when it talks about love, it says that if you do not have love and you have the gift of faith, then you can move mountains. So pretty much what the author was doing, Paul, he was explaining that whenever you're the extreme or the finality or the maximization of the gift in that section was if you have the gift of faith, you can move mountain, right? And so the finality of different things that he started to list there were different things. If you have the gift of tongues or interpretation of tongues or the gift of tongues and you can speak tongues of men, tongues of angel, tongues of so-and-so, whatever, if you can speak tongues of aliens or whoever, the extreme of that, the maximum extreme of that is what he listed. So when he came to prophecy, he didn't say if you can prophesy to 10,000 people, right? He said, if you had the gift of prophecy and it can understand all mysteries. So we deduct one thing in that is that the prophetic is more about understanding mysteries, the gift of prophecy. I'm not talking about prophecy. I'm talking about the gift of prophecy. And so there's a differentiation that we need to understand. We have to understand that. And when the Lord called me, and and I believe when he called a, a person to a prophetic office, it's not the same as having the gift of prophecy, but I would understand that someone that is in a prophetic office or in the prophetic call, because there's also uh, different uh, stages of the prophetic office as well. We're going to get into that in a little bit. I'm kind of trying to summarize it in such a way so we can begin to flow in a little bit. And um, so let me let me look for this scripture here for a second, and then we'll, we'll, we'll continue here. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and a, or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I have I give my body to be burned, but have not love. It profits me nothing. Love suffers long. It's kind. Love does not envy. And it continues. And so he, he speaks here what the gift of prophecy is. It's understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. That is the maximization of that gift. And so we do know who had that kind of gift. Daniel had that kind of gift. He understood all mysteries and all knowledge. And some of the things that he prophesied are still happening right now. The fullness of the Gentiles. He was the one that prophesied it, you know. So we have to really begin to understand that this is more than just comfort, edification, and exhortation, which is the base level of the prophetic. And one of the best teachers of mine that explained it really well is Graham Cook. And he explains this. He says that the prophetic is like a pool. And in a pool, you have the shallow end where everyone, the babies and everyone with the float floats and everything, they can, in that area, they can all swim. And that means that all can prophesy at that level, comfort, edification, exhortation. And then you go to the next level, which is where, you know, you've been prophesying for a little bit, maybe comfort, edification, and exhortation. And then you're in that, in that place where you're at, it's 
maybe it could be a prophetic teams. You're around prophetic people, just like Saul. You know, uh, Saul, King Saul was around prophets and he could prophesy. He had a, a, a different spirit. He was another man and he prophesied, but he never prophesied after that. And he had the taste of that. And at the end of his life, you know, or before, he, you know, he, he, he died, he went out there trying to look for a prophet. He couldn't find none. So he went out there and looked for witches or whatever to, to give him a word of the Lord. So you have to understand that when you're at that, you're in the prophetic teams, you'll prophesy. Even a cockroach can prophesy. That's what I love to say around prophetic people. So then you move to the prophetic gifting, meaning that you have people that have the gift of prophecy and they prophesy based on the gift. And so there's this kind of misconception as, okay, it's a gift, meaning that it's not something you earn. It's something that the Lord has given you and it's as the spirit wills. And how do you get a gift? Well, if you ask your dad every day for something, of course, he's going to give you. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. So the desire is the magnet for that. So if you desire a spiritual gift, the Lord will give you what you desire, what you desire. Not saying that, you know, everyone has it, but we are saying that if you desire it so much and you hunger for it, the Lord will provide and he will give. Ask and he shall give and you shall receive, ask and you shall receive. So it is important for that. And so most of us, of course, we want every single one of those gifts that are in, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. But the thing is, is this, or 12, 13, the, the thing is, is this, is that the desire and the hunger is not the only thing that causes us to receive that. Of course, there is mechanics of impartation. There's also something about how you deal with the seed form. Every gift that you get, my understanding is you get it in a gift, in a seed form. So if you got an impartation in a seed form, whether the impartation came by the Lord directly or came through a man or came through reading you know, by through a man or through the Lord, through reading or whatever it is, the third form of impartation, guess what? You still have to take that seed and it has to die in you and you have to die to self and then begin to practice that gift. There's people that have impartations for those things, but they don't exercise them. They don't go out there and do these things. So it's by reason of use that you increase. It is by reason of use that you begin to, uh, to prosper in those gifts. You don't just have it and you're like, okay, I'm going to sit on it. It's like you, you get a new Nintendo. It's a gift that your parents gave you, but you have it with you and you're sitting on it. You're not doing anything with it. You can't expect for you to be good at it if you don't play it, if you don't use it, if you don't exercise it. So that's why it's good to be, when you do uh, desire those things, be around people that are practicing the gift. Whether they are prophets or not prophets, it doesn't matter. Be around people that are going to pull you and push you. That's what's going to get you even an increase in the prophetic. And the other thing is, is that, you know, the word of God is nourishment to our prayer, but it's also nourishment to our prophetic. When you learn the scriptures, what happens is that it increases your ability to have a vocabulary. So the vocabulary to the prophetic is the word of God because the word of God is his word. And so you're just saying what he's saying. And so you can't go wrong when you're prophesying and speaking the word of God in that aspect. Of course, the timing and all that is there. So pursue love and desire spiritual gift, but especially that you may prophesy. 
1 Corinthians 14 and 1. So in this thing, it actually, Paul, this is Paul. This is not Jesus talking. This is Paul. And he's saying that when you desire or you pursue love, which is number one, you look for the water, you get the wetness. Look for love. Look for God. Pursue God and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because although I don't believe that prophecy is the entrance to the other gifts, tongues is the entrance. I believe that the building of your most faith, that is the entrance to the all the other gifts. And then you step onto prophecy. Prophecy is the next step to catapult you into the other gifts. But I do know people that don't even prophesy, but they work. They do working of miracles. They do all these healings and all these other things. But the prophetic, it transcends that whole board there. So, but it says, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And the purpose of the prophetic is actually to build the church, is to build the body of Christ. The bride made herself ready. So it's key in building the body of Christ to flow in the prophetic. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied for he who has, he who prophesies is greater than he who speak with tongues. And what he's saying is not saying that he's greater in the sense that he's a bigger man or, or more important. He's just saying that it is advantageous to be able to, uh, in just speaking in tongues and nobody's understanding and nobody's being edified to speak in tongues and interpretation, which is one, uh, one coin with two sides. And then the prophetic is that one coin. And so it's better for you to speak in tongues and interpretation or to just prophesy so that people will get edified. The whole purpose of the spiritual gifts is not for us, it's for the other person. So the gifts actually have nothing to do with us, as we said earlier, it has to do with other people. And so when you have the gift, it's not for you to boast and say, oh yeah, I have this, I'm, I'm gonna prophesy to you so I can look good, no. It's because you want them to hear what the Father is saying. You want them to know about the Lord. You want them to receive edification, uh, you know. And so those elements are very important to understand for maturity purposes, okay? And so it says here, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification, 1 Corinthians 14 and 5. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gift, let it be for edification of the church that you seek to excel, 1 Corinthians 14 and 12. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 and 4. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 1 Corinthians 12 and 7. For one is given the word of wisdom. And remember, I said this before in some other classes. When it was translated here, it says the word of wisdom. It's actually wrong. In the Greek, it's a word of wisdom. And you can look it up. It's a word of wisdom, not the word of wisdom. It's a word of wisdom. So it's a portion of that. It's not like a complete full thing. That's why it says we prophesy in part. So it says, for one is given a word of wisdom through the spirit to another, a word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all these things, 
distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and as many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 13. Now, I'm going to have to repeat myself in here because of the fact that some of you were not you know, part of the other classes that we had. Now, these gifts that are listed, apparently we see nine of them there. But what I would have to say that let's not limit to nine because of the fact that Paul wrote these things in that way. Let's put them in the categories of gifts because I can ask you a question and say, well, Philip translocated from one location to another place. Where does that go? Where, where, kind of, where gifts is that? Translocation, where does that go? Translation, where does that go? You know, uh, different things like that. Where, where do they go? There's a lot of things that we see. Jesus Christ is appearing in a group of crowd and then appearing in another place. Whenever he came back, the transfiguration, where does that go? Right? He did ministry as a son of man, even though he was fully God, fully man. And so we have to really look at this thing and say, okay, this is Paul explaining and trying to say, okay, this is the things that that we're practicing right now and you guys are not aware of it and he's trying to kind of clear it up. And so he separates them into three categories, right? Three categories. And the first category is the revelatory gifts, which is the no gift. And these flow as a set or triplet. So a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge and discerning of spirits, they all work in tandem, meaning that usually one person that is working in discerning of spirits will receive a word of knowledge and then will receive a word of wisdom to solve the solution to whatever problems or situation that, that do come up. They're the mind of God or the, the no gifts or the revelatory gifts, right? And so whenever you look at the utterance gift, then you see the different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the prophecy or the mouth of God or the say gift. And so prophecy actually transcends and it goes through across the board with these categories, right? And I'm going to do the last category before I go back to prophecy. So you got the power gifts and the power gifts is the do gift, the hand of God, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings, faith. And so you would see somebody that is working and working of miracle, they would need faith to be able to step into different realms and then the gift of healings, they would need uh, a, a faith. And of course we need faith to prophesy as well. And there's several levels of that. Same way that we explain that prophecy uh, has gifts or has levels, right? There are levels, the shallow end, right? And then you have the middle part and then you have the, the gifts and then you actually have the office. And so before even I go on, let me explain what I wanted to say about the office. So just because you were called to the prophetic office doesn't mean that from one day to the next day, you, you, you're already in your prophetic office. No, there is the calling stage, right? The training stage and the office stage. And so for most people, usually it takes about the magic numbers, 14 to 15 years. When you look at um, some people in the Bible, like for example, uh, Paul was known to be a teacher um, uh, was was amongst the teachers and the prophets. And when he started, he had to go somewhere for like 14, 15 years, and then he came back to Jerusalem. And so even Jeremiah, when he was called, 
as a, at a young age, right? At, I think it was about 13, but it was a, again, 14 to 15 years later that he actually began to prophesy. So they don't step into that office just because. So there is a progressive state that happens to most of the, 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 the prophets. And so what happens is that they get a calling. In the calling stage, what they hear is people telling them, you're being called to be a prophet, da, 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 and they'll, they'll get so tired of hearing it that it's not going to be the main focus. And that's the call stage. And that could take four or five, six years, however long, depending on how hard-headed you are. Then from there, you go through the training phase. Now, the training phase and the calling stage, they are almost overlapping because in the calling stage, you are being called, but you're also being training. And the training stage also overlaps when you are in the office because when you get a new job and you go into a new office, you still have to be trained in that new office, even your secular job. And so you have that calling stage, the training, and then the office stage. And whenever you step into the office, you will notice that your words will less likely fall to the ground and they'd happen more simultaneously and happen as you declare them and you prophesy them. There's a greater level of responsibility and reception to the word because you're disciplined, you're seasoned. You're not at the place of where you were at in the beginning where you're dealing with different issues, you know, Discipline issues, obedience issue, submission issues, different things like that. So there is a difference with that. And the difference of the, uh, the office of a prophet is that in itself is that you as a prophet is the gift to the church because that's part of the ascension gifts. So the gifts of the, of the, the Holy Spirit are the, the, those gifts that we talked about in the three categories that the majority of people say there are nine gifts. Those are gifts from Holy Spirit actively working inside of you as you desire different things and you grow in the Lord, then the Lord, you know, as you desire spiritual gifts, he then bestows that through love, by faith, through love. But then the other gifts are from Jesus himself, the ascension gifts. And the ascension gifts are the gifts that the Lord Jesus himself says, okay, uh, you're going to be this, you're going to be that for the mending of the nets, for preparing the bride so that you will be part of the, you'll be the, the, the friends of the bridegroom. So you'll be able to prepare the bride to serve the people. And so the prophet himself is a gift. So his life himself is a gift. His whole life entails a prophetic word. So from the moment that person was born to the moment they die, even before the, if, if the Lord tarries during their lifetime, then what happens is that whole life is a message to the people itself. And there are activators and catalysts to other people. And so there are also uh, different types of prophets as well. And the Bible uses different words for that as well. And so there are we have, everybody knows now, because of James Gall, he wrote a really excellent book on the seer prophet, right? Which is also the chose, to just use different words depending on how you see that, to chose, uh, the seer. And then you have uh, a prophet, which is the, the, the nabi. And they also receive the prophetic in different manners. So some of them receive them uh, via burden and flowing thoughts and the dripping and the, and the flowing. 
And then you have the seer. More of them are, are, they see visions and have dreams. And more of the prophet are more into the governmental area or in, in, in vice versa than the seer. The seer is probably not involved in so much in the, in the, in the governmental area as well in that sense. But we see all these different prophets. We see Gad, we see, you know, uh, Daniel, uh, we see uh, Samuel, we see different prophets that are there and that the way that they receive the prophetic may not be exactly to say, well, they're prophets or seers, but it just says that they have different ways of receiving it as well. So, but everything in this sense, is just to kind of wrap it up to kind of advise you. And there's different, uh, the prophetic is also different in the New and the Old Testament. And there is one of those things that in the Old Testament, there's a lot of judgment because that's the way that the Lord was pushing things. You just release, you just, you, you receive a word and you just go ahead and, um, uh, you go ahead and, uh, uh, what do you, you just repeat it. And so there's these elements that I want to talk about is that everybody can give comfort, edification and exhortation, but whenever you get to the level, the other levels of responsibility, you'll be able to give direction, correction, and warning. And so whenever we teach the practice of prophecy in meetings and and training, we leave out those other elements because those other elements are reserved for people that have been hearing more. And then if you do receive those things, write them down, pray on it, and see what the Lord says. Now, for me, when I went through some of these schools or training or uh, these places and different uh, streams, I've already been through the things that they tell you not to do, meaning that they tell you, okay, don't, don't prophesy mates, don't prophesy children, don't prophesy. You know what? I didn't have anybody to teach me about Holy Spirit. So I've already made either mistakes or I've already made those prophetic words and they have come to pass. But it is wise that whenever you're going through these schools, just remember Hey, they, they mentioned that for a reason because, because of the fact that a lot of people have made mistakes, you know, prophesying to somebody, you're going to be my wife. And they have, you're telling them something like that. That means you're giving them no free will, no free choice. And with the Lord, there is free will, there's free choice. So you have to have the maturity. So these, these things are the things that we have learned in the prophetic streams and, and those generals that came before us, you know, uh, Bob Jones, Bishop Bill Hammond, uh, you know, all these people, Paul Kane, uh, Graham Cook, you know, so many different people, Larry Randolph, so many different people that I can list off right now, you know, uh, John Paul Jackson, you know, uh, Patricia King. There's so many different people out there that have come before us. But the thing is, is that when we go through these when they have gone, they, their, their floor should be our, uh, or their ceiling should be our floor. And we just build upon them. We honor them and we take what we have. Now, we have to remember that in order for us to progress, we can't take things into a religious mindset like, oh, we know everything. We really don't. Because as a math- mathematicians and people that study space or that, that study, uh, you know, uh, like an Albert Einstein, what they do is they say the more they learn about whatever subject or field, the more they realize they really don't know. And so we must be like children in order for us to excel, to continue learning. Okay, so let me go back to what we were on early so we can continue here. 
All right. So what is the prophetic? The prophetic is in Jeremiah 1 and 7. They're saying that the prophetic is to act or to speak on the behalf of God, the mind of God, pretty much. And it's to speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Samuel 10, 6 and 10. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. We talked about that. That's Revelation 19 and 10. Creative words from a divine source that call those things that are not into being. That's foretelling. So that's Romans 4, 17, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, and Ezekiel 37. So there are times where the Lord would release this prophetic faith. Remember, everything comes from him. It's based on the presence. We don't do nothing out of our own. It's because of the presence of God. So we're not purpose-driven. We are presence-driven, and we should be. And so that's why when you find yourself prophesying with not in the presence, you're stepping into soulish realms. And that's where you have a lot of flaky prophetic words. And so we have to be very cognizant of the presence. And we are one with him. But there are times where the Lord will release such a strong faith that I even remember one day, I was going to this school in the military and the Lord said, I want you to speak these words as you step outside of this door. It was raining and I stepped outside of the door and he said, say, stop raining. And I did. And it just stopped right there. Boom. I felt a strong presence. But when I tried to do it on my own, when he didn't say it, it didn't happen. I, I forth told. You are able to do that whenever the Lord releases that to you and releases the faith that goes along with it. And you can forth tell. And so when you're stepping into the prophetic office, there is the leash is actually unleashed a little bit easier for you to be able to foretell more. And that's why you see sometimes you meet a prophetic, not a person with a prophetic gift, but someone in the prophetic office, they say something and suddenly things start to shift in your life. Not because they're confirming prophetic words, but there are words, there are new words that you've never heard before and they just foretell and things begin to shift. Because remember the church is built the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets, not on pastors. It doesn't say that. It says on the apostles and prophets. And so when we have it upside down, where we have pastors and teachers and evangelists building the church, we have an upside down church. We need to have the apostles first and then the prophets building the foundation. And we're not talking about every single little church needs to be built in that way. We're just saying that the foundation of the Catholic, the, the big church, the universal church is like that. And so as I've explained it before, which I believe even, I believe is Bishop Bill Hammond and Bob Jones, they talk about the hand of God, which is the ascension gift. The thumb is the the fatherly love, which points to the apostle. He points up, he brings in that. And then you have the index finger, which is the prophetic or the prophetic office. And it points to the future and they see the future and they bring it up. And then the, 
the prophets and the apostles together, the thumb and the index finger can hold the sword and they can be able to work it out to bring that foundation out, the new things that are being built. And then you have the longest finger, which stretches out longer than any other finger. It goes outside of the borders of the church and goes out and gather harvest. That's the evangelist. And so when you do have somebody in your church who's a leader, if they're evangelist, that anointing will spread to every single person will be able to do that. And then you have the other finger where you have the ring finger and they say the ring finger because it's married to the church. It's the pastor. They guard the sheep. They keep them. And they, they, they protect them in the doctrines of, 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 of the body of Christ. And then the small finger, which is a teacher, but it's not only, <laughs> it actually brings balance. Because if you cut your little toe and your foot, you are not going to have balance. But if you do cut your thumb, you're just all messed up. Matter of fact, they used to do that to kings. They would cut their, their thumb and they would cut their, their big toe and they would have them uh, eat the food of their the kings that were conquered, that conquered them under their, their, their table and they wouldn't be able to grab, they can't grab a sword after that because they, they had that. And you can't, whenever you have your toe cut off, you don't have the balance to be able to do anything. You can't even walk a straight line. So it is very important that as the body of Christ, that we see that, we see that. Okay, so... Let's look at uh, the Hebrew for the prophetic here. It says, it's to bubble forth like a fountain. That's the word nabi, to drop, to lift up, to tumble forth, to spring forth. The God-given ability to give forth in the language of your own understanding, a message direct from the heart of God unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. And so whenever we do receive the prophetic words, it comes in in this way. 100% of the word, if it's from the right sources, because the sources is very important to understand, the sources can be, uh, you know, you can have human source, you can have human spirit, you can have uh, from God himself, you could have maybe, um, you know, negative spirit or evil spirit influencing your thought, that's where you get divination. But if the prophetic word is coming from the Lord himself, that is a revelation. That's called Rima. It's a message from God and it comes in at a hundred percent. So you got revelation, then you have interpretation and then application. In the interpretation portion is where we begin to lose the accuracy because there's human error and factors that come into play. And that's what we see in the New Testament is like that. Agabus is one of the prophets that you can see as he prophesied. He received something, the way he interpreted it and the way that the act, the prophetic act was done. You see that there was elements of things that were lost in the, in, in the message. Some things were lost, but yet he wasn't called the false prophet. Just like if you have a pastor or a teacher that teaches false doctrine, we don't call them false teachers. They're just, sometimes they make mistakes and different things like that. So there's a grace for that. We're in the dispensation of grace. And so it's not like in the Old Testament where you receive a prophetic word and it was a prophetic word where you're just scribing it and you just write it exactly how the Lord is telling you to do it. In the New Testament, Holy Spirit is inside of you. The heart of God is inside of you. And so you have to learn to partner with Holy Spirit and begin to 
hear what he's saying in his heart. But there is a learning curve, the learning process. So you can't fear that. Most people don't start into the prophetic or they have the paralysis of analysis because of the fact that they're afraid that they're going to miss it. Of course, we're all going to miss it. And if you get to a place where you think you're not going to miss it, then you shouldn't be prophesying. We should be at a place of humility all the time. Humility is friends of the prophetic. You need to remain humble at all times that you may miss it. And you have to be ready to apologize. You have to be ready to say, okay, you know what? I missed it. Maybe I need to hear it better. Maybe I need to focus on this better. Because sometimes things do come in and hinder you. Frustration is an enemy of prophetic. So a prophetic person needs to be at rest. It needs to be at a place of rest. Not at a place where there are being demanded. Like, you know, sometimes people are beginning to prophesy, gets words of knowledge for this, words of knowledge for that, and they're prophesying. And then they're, you know, they get demanded so much. There's such a demand that it causes them to have a false expectation, a false burden upon them when they go to different churches and ministry. You don't want to be at that place because now you're performing instead of actually being at the heart of the Father. You have to be at a place of rest and peace. And that is what the prophetic should be. And when you're in that place, you're golden because there's humility. The element of humility is there. So the body of Christ supposed to be prophetic. We speak the truth to the world, right? We reveal the heart of the Father. We release words of life. We, re, we bring warning and correction of impending judgment that comes through. That's part of that. That's part of the prophetic. It's not only about personal prophecy. And what the Lord wants, he wants to create a people who have a prophetic heart, who want to bring the heart of the father to the heart of the sons and sons to the father. The Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, he wants to bring that. And so this is something that is encouraged. This is something that needs to be encouraged. But the thing is, there are different protocols that were established even throughout the church right now so that we will be able to all prophesy accordingly. Because in the Corinthian church, everybody had the ability to do it. So Paul was like, hey, all right, everybody can prophesy. But guess what? Let's just get it this way. If one is prophesying, every one of you be quiet and let one speak and everybody else judge. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. So there has to be some kind of prophetic protocol when you're in a group of a lot of people. Now, if you have like three or four or five people or whatever, you know, you can kind of work it out. But when you get a whole body of people, there has to be some kind of protocol. And that's something that changes from local places. You can't really put everything together. It depends on the leadership and how it works. But basically, those things are very important. All right. Okay, so we're going to go to the fruit, works of the Spirit. And um, here fruit says, work, act, deed. That which originates or comes from something, an effect, result. And that is from Thayer definition. Thayer is just like... um, What is that? The other one, uh, uh, the concordance. What is that? Strong's concordance, but it's a different one. And uh, here says that work or act or deed. So it says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in 
He is convinced by all and he's convicted by all. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. So this is Paul explaining and saying that when we begin to prophesy the mind of God, the mysteries of God to the people, and we're in the midst of us, there are unbelievers or even believers. What happens is that the Lord is glorified because the people's secrets or the secrets of their heart or the desires or different things are revealed. And so there is that, that element, the prophetic is what actually the, it brings the grace and the goodness of God to people. And there's a misconception because sometimes you'll find a person who's prophesying from the Old Testament mindset. And that's something that I believe I was in in the beginning because I was used to think that the prophetic was judging and all this other stuff because you, when you read the Old Testament, that's what you see. But then when you notice that the last of the prophet of the Old Testament, what happened to him? He lost his head. His head got cut off. And that was John the Baptist. He was one of the greatest. But Jesus said that he was one of the greatest prophet of that time. But a new believer or a person that is born again in Christ or in the kingdom is greater than John. And how is that? Because from that dispensation, things started in that sense. And so because of the access that we have, because of Jesus, they wish that they knew what we know now. But because of that, we are stepping into a place where they wish they did. And in that place, there is grace. And so Holy Spirit is living inside of us and he's in us. And so we have a greater level of access and we can be able to prophesy and foretell, foretell and foretell with him. And so it's really important that we understand that we're not coming in in judgment because Jesus already dealt with sin. He's not worried about sin. Any one of us, whether we're saved or not saved or whatever the case, we can see sin in people. We don't, you don't need to have a special gift of prophecy or word of knowledge or whatever it is to be able to see the sin in other people. That's not our job. Being a prophet or someone with the gift of prophecy or even a believer doesn't give you the right to, you know, tell the people what they're doing wrong in the sense of, oh, well, you know, I can see that you have this sin and that. That's just so immature. Our goal in the prophetic is to edify. Is that edifying when you're finding somebody who has a particular sin or something like that? Right? So the key is to comfort, edify, and exhort. And so when you're coming in in the Old Testament style, you're coming in in judgment and, and condemnation and all these other stuff. We're not saying that if somebody's doing those things that you shouldn't, uh, it's not saying that, we, that, that, that what they're doing is right. We're just saying that when you're prophesying, you're edifying. You're finding the goal that is in them. Okay, so one best example is one of those that I've learned from one of my mentors is that when Abraham was yet a father of many nations, his name was Abram. And when the Lord came to Abraham 
and wanted to destroy um, Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, should we tell Abraham that he's going to be a father of many nations now? Or should we wait? In that sense. So it's like, he, the Lord, what he does is he presents us, the, the prophetic shows us who we are in the end from the present. So the Lord already sees the outcome of who we will be now. So when he speaks with us, he sees those two sides of us at the same time, simultaneously. He's the beginning and the end. So as he's speaking with Abraham, he sees the end from the beginning. And so he chooses to explain to him, oh yeah, you're going to be a father of many nations. And so with us, when we're prophesying, we're looking beyond what we see now. Because I've been in a position where, where I was not doing well. I was backsliding and I was not in a good place. And the Lord asked me to go to this particular church. And then he asked me after that particular church, go to another church. And I went to that second church. And in that second church, there was a prophetic minister that showed up. And before they can get six or seven feet away from me, they begin to prophesy all these great things that I would do. But it was because of the goodness that they prophesied of the things that they saw that brought me to repentance. It was not that they saw the things that were obvious. Anyone can see things like fornication and whatever the case may be. It doesn't take a genius or a prophetic minister to see those. That's not what the prophetic is about. There are some exceptions in private situations where the Lord will say, look, in terms of discipline, because if someone has been dealing with these issues for several years and years and years, and the Lord says, hey, look, you need to tell this person they need to shape up or I'm going to bring them to discipline. Just like that one person in the Corinthian church where they were uh, having relations with their mother. We don't know if it was, you know, uh, the, the exact situation, but it doesn't say, but they were having that situation and they told them they need to fix it because it was a discipline issues. But for those that you get something, and, and that brings up the whole issue. You don't prophesy all the time the first things that you get. That could be a diagnosis. And then you find out what the prognosis is, and then you get the solution. And then that's how you see the word of knowledge, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, work in tandem. And those elements work in tandem to, to, to work with prophecy. I think I mentioned when I mentioned the three categories that the prophecy almost transcends those gifts because you could actually prophesy into healing, prophesy into miracle, prophesy into the faith, prophesy. So the prophetic element actually, although it's in that second category that we talked about, the utterance or say gift, it actually transcends those and it goes, there's a line that can be drawn. And so just remember that. Our goal, and I think this is what one of the people say, uh, is to look for gold in people. And when you do that, you're comforting, you're exhorting, and you're edifying. Because you're calling people from their future into the present now. That's what prophetic is. Forthtelling and foretelling. You're comforting, edifying, and exhorting. Now, whenever you are trusted with what you've had for a little bit of time, then you can begin to step into correction, direction, and warning. Meaning, oh, 
the Lord, I'm hearing that the Lord is saying, look, um, you got to you know, stop your job right now and go get another job or whatever the case may be. You know, those are directions. Move from this house and buy another house. See, those are the things that we don't do in training. And those are the things that we shouldn't do in uh, those kind of places because those things come in like, okay, did you hear that correctly? Did you pray on it? Did you craft that prophetic prayer or word and put it down? And is the timing correct? Remember that the element we said, revelation, interpretation, application. Under application, there is other two elements which is timing and delivery. And by the time you get to the delivery portion, the accuracy is almost at 30% or lower. And it could be actually, if you do it at the wrong timing, because if you say, well, this is gonna happen on this day, but then the timing is off, guess what? That almost makes it a complete false prophetic word. But it doesn't make you a false prophet, doesn't make you a false uh, prophetic minister, or doesn't make you that your gift is not there. There's also a difference between someone who has the gift, but does not have the training. There are people that I know that prophesy without the training, and they're all over the place. But they have the gift. You can sense it. You can feel it. There's the, the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and that prophetic anointing is upon them, but they're all over the place. They're not hitting on target because they're just all over the place. But when you teach them some small particular elements and different things, they hone that gift and they can just go precise, hit the mark right away. And that flow, they can just step into that flow. And the, the way we receive a lot of those people that don't that they don't do this often or they, they have the gift, but they don't do the training, they rely on one. There are some prophets or prophetic ministers who are feelers. And so they remain on that and they, they, they grow this muscle in the feeling area. Their five senses is established so well, but they don't see. They don't see pictures. They don't see nothing. Occasionally, maybe they do. And there are those who are not only seer or feeler but they are hearers and all they do is hear words they hear they hear but then they get stuck on that because we are people or human factors or of understanding our mind get in the way because something worked the first time we try to do the same thing and repeat it that's why we try to do sunday service at a certain time and this is that look that's being religious just because it worked you open up this a clubhouse that said, you know, deliverance and so and so. And then there was just such an amazing presence of the Holy Spirit. Next thing you know, part two. Just because there was such a great crowd, there was such a great... No. It's, that's not the way things work. We have to be fresh. Get fresh bread, daily bread, the word of God, daily bread. Get fresh instruction, fresh strategies from the Lord. And... That's the part that actually gets us because when we begin to think that we know it, that's when we really don't know. We got to remain like children and we got to come in and say, oh Lord, teach us. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to prophesy. Teach us how to step into the prophetic realm. Now, we have to prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. And that really is based upon the burden or the witness. And when the prophetic comes in, 
The burden is what actually shows us that, okay, this is the Lord, the presence of the Lord. I can prophesy from that place well. We can prophesy from that place with with confidence, knowing that there's a witness of the Spirit of the Lord. I remember once a brother of mine called me, minister, you know, big name. We spoke. Suddenly I had this burden and I just started to flow. And then when he left off the phone, the burden continued and I began to write some prophetic words. And that prophetic word was published on a major article. And, but the thing was, it started all with a burden for the heart. And so remember we, he says, pursue love. So the thing is, is that sometimes you can step into that burden when you have the passion or compassion for the people to be blessed and to be comforted and to be exhorted, to be edified. And you see someone going through a struggle and as you're praying for them, then that burden falls upon you and then the witness and the presence of the Lord and you're catapulting yourself from the presence, you're prophesying by faith as you're starting perhaps and then you step into the anointing and then you step into the presence and the glory of the Lord comes in and then there you just rest and just release the word. It just flow, 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 flow. And then that burden lifts, you gotta stop. Don't just keep going. You don't wanna add anything that you don't need to. That's why it's important to feel the burden, sense the burden. And most of the prophetic ministers that I know, even um, ministers here, they know. They know what I'm talking about. And I'm talking in the sense that most of you here already know these stuff, but I'm explaining it for some that may not hear it, may not understand it, because these things, we all need a refresher in these things because that's what makes us better and able to be able to get a sharper level of the prophetic. So having then gifts differing or differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, Romans 12 and 6. So prophesy according to the faith that comes upon you and the burden. And don't go out outside of your metron or even area of influence in such a way that you're like, oh, like, okay. You know, just, just, just lay low, come from a place of humility and begin to prophesy from that place. Once the assurance lift, we need to stop prophesying. Just remember that. That's all I can say about that. So Let me read some of these scriptures and we'll step into some things here. It says, And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 and 2. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I have not charity, I profiteth me nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 and 3. Gift of prophecy. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. 1 Timothy 4.14. 
And then I'm going to read one last one and we're going to continue here. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. 1 Corinthians 14 and 5. I want you all to speak in tongues so that you can prophesy. A different translation. So we do understand that impartation. Now, let me talk a little bit about impartation there. Now, I mentioned it or I touched it just a little bit, and I'm going to kind of finish with this because this is, I'm already, I'm just on the sixth page of this manual. Um, So impartation comes in so many different ways. Uh, There's first level impartation was directly from the Lord himself through an encounter, just like uh, in the dream that um, Solomon had. You know, the Lord showed up in his dream and the Lord gave him an impartation of wisdom. Um, You have Jesus uh, imparting to the 70 and the 12. You have, um, there's so many examples. I mean, I can go on. But you also have the secondary portion where the Lord sends someone. For example, Jesus could have right then and there when Saul, who became Paul at the road of Damascus, at the encounter, when he became blind, could have said, okay, you know, I I heal you right here and I impart to you whatever. But he decided to send him to someone, another person, because the Lord does honor. He, there's something about the eldership that the Lord honors and that's Holy Spirit, the way he operates. I mean, look at the, Seven, Philip, Stephen, and all the other ones. They were already full of the word, full of the Holy Spirit. But yet, when they, before they stepped into another realm, another level, it was because of the impartation that was laid on by the apostolic leaders that came. That was after that. That was then that things began to go. There's something about an affirmation from the eldership that Holy Spirit, when he releases that, that form of impartation right there increases. And so we have the first portion where the level, that level of impartation comes straight. Some people I've heard, you know, they're sleeping in bed and the Lord is visiting them and they get thundering and lightning and, uh, you know, the electricity through their body. That's in a form of impartation. Then they begin to step into different realms and levels. And then they do get impartation from people here and there. Those you honor, you receive from. You pull from them. And whatever is on them comes upon you. And the other thing that one of my mentors mentioned is this, is that we always talk about Elijah, Elisha, the double portion. Double portion means times two. That's the lowest level of multiplication. It's not about two times. Why don't you go for three times, four times, six times? I mean, I'm not talking about mantles here. Uh, Mantles are for people. There's different views on this. And I go with along with the view that a mantle is my mantle. Your mantle is your mantle. And one of the reasons why uh, Elisha had somebody else's mantle is because Elijah never finished his job. He left. He never finished his mission. And so he said, hey, if I'm going to do your job and do my job, give me what you had, and then I'll do, and I'll have what I have. So he had two. Now, when it comes to 
impartation for these gifts, these are there. He says that even Paul said something about how uh, he was talking to some people and he said, he said to them, you know, I wish I was there so that I can impart to you some of these gifts that I have. So that means that those things can be released and activated. And when I asked the Holy Spirit about impartation one time, back about 20 years ago, he told me this technical terms because I'm very technical. You know, I think about electronics and things like that. And he told me about how magnets work. And you can have magnetism from a magnet that is naturally magnet because of the way it is, the, the elements or whatever it is that it's made out of. And the electrons are electrons and the protons are all facing a certain way. And that's why you have the north and south in one way. And so they pull and they, they push. And so there's magnetism in that. You could take a piece of metal of iron, you wrap a, 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 a piece of um, a coil around it and you put electricity to it, it becomes magnetized. So that was the first form. The electricity is actually the first part of impartation. That's come straight from God. The second part is, okay, like, look, you can actually take a magnet and you take a small little screw. That screw may not have been magnetized, but when you put that screw next to that magnet and it touches it, automatically that piece of screw becomes magnetized from that time on. It may not be as strong as if you put electricity to it, but it is strong enough. And so the Lord showed it to me and I actually practiced it and laid hands on people. And I began to see things happen to those people as you lay hands on them. There is that activation. It's something that the Lord is already, it's already in them. Those electrons are there. Those protons are there, but they're aligned. There's realignment. That's why the prophets and the apostles are the ones that are the foundation, the activators, the catalyst and they release these things. They activate these things in people. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, he says, awaken the gift that was already in you from the laying on of my hands through the prophetic presbytery of the elders. Right? That is accessible. Those things are accessible. We have to dismiss, dismystify these things and look at them in that way. And the thing about it is that, you know, there's people out there that understand these concepts and ideas and they go out all over the place trying to get impartation from all these people. And, but they don't do nothing with it or they try to get impartation every day. The key is to cultivate a good character. And that's what the Lord loved. That's why you say pursue love. When that which is perfect has come, which is love, Holy Spirit in us, the fullness of that, as we desire, and I've heard this minister say, if the Lord ever comes to you and says, what would you like if you had a choice from the spiritual gifts? He says, don't choose any of the gifts. Go for the gift giver. Say, I want Holy Spirit. I want to love like he does. I want to be like him. I want to love. I want to have that. Pursue love. Pursue God because love, God is love. Pursue God and then desire spiritual gifts. It is very important. And when you do, hone in on the prophetic because the prophetic will catapult you into the other as well.
The prophetic anointing is very contagious. You guys know the story of 1 Samuel 20, uh, 10, 5 and 16. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. So there's so many things here. Uh, we could talk about prophesying with music and sound. There is something about music and sound that whenever you have that in the background, it's like the words actually ride the music. I've noticed that when I started prophesying in the Nabi style of the prophetic, in the flowing thought, when I had a minstrel next to me or music or a guitar, it's like it was so easy because I can step. There's like a rhythm that goes along on the flow. Like that's how David was, you know? So let me read the scripture here. It says, Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service come of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, and Jeduthon, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. And the number of the skilled men performing their service was of the sons of Asaph, Sakur, Joseph, Nathaniah, and Hazarela. The sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. Of Jeduthon, the sons of Jeduthon, Gedaliah, Zeri, Jeshiah, Shimei, Ashebiah, and Machithiah, six under the direction of their father, Jeduthon, who prophesied with a harp to give thanks and praise to the Lord. First Chronicles 25, 1-3 When you begin to sing a new song to the Lord, the prophetic anointing does enter in. There is a river of the presence of God and there are different flavors of that. You can sense when you're in a meeting when there's a prophetic anointing comes in. You can sense when there's a healing anointing comes in. Out of that river, the streams of the river, there is different elements that you can taste out of and say, okay, there, there is a strong healing anointing. There is a strong prophetic anointing. There is a strong revelatory anointing of spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's time to receive the rema. It's time to preach the word. It is time to do miracles, signs and wonders. And so the music allows us to step into the different dimensions and grab on and latch up on it. It's like there's a current going and you need to catch it and say, okay, I want to catch in that. I want to step into that with my canoe and just flow. We all can do that through worship. So a prophetic person need to be a worshiper first. You got to worship. You got to learn to worship the Lord, worship God, worship. Because we can all access the prophetic when we're in worship. Matter of fact, as I grew more mature, I began to not wanting to get prophetic word because anybody can get it. And that's why I tell some of the young people, we're in a prophetic, or we're in a meeting, the presence of God shows up. They all want to prophesy. Yeah, anybody, a cockroach can prophesy in the presence of God. You know what? Write it down on a piece of paper, sit down and just sit. Self-control is part of the fruit of the spirit. Self-control yourself and wait. Because we all can prophesy in, the, in, the, in, in, in that anointing. But what we need to do is we need to focus on what's important. Is worshiping the Lord is more important than anything else. Let's enjoy his presence. Let's enjoy him. It's not going to go away. When that, when, when that spirit is there, you catch on it. You get your prophetic word. If you're the kind of one, you can actually float. You could get a burden and prophesy from that. Or you could just write it down. Or you could just say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to, remember, you got to practice revelation, interpretation, application, delivery, and timing. When is it you're supposed to do that? He may say, do it now. 
But then you got to go through the prophetic protocol of that church or that meeting or whoever it is that that you're under because uh, the anointing and the flow of a service goes along with the leadership because it, you may have a prophetic word and the prophetic anointing shows up, but if the leadership does not believe in prophecy, it may not flow exactly how you thought it would. Those are the things that we have encountered through experience. And most of the leaders here know, understand that, you know, you just get rejected right away, especially if you're not well known or your prophetic words are, you know, um, they may be like, okay, we don't know who you are. This is, you know, things like that. So those are the things that come in, uh, the human factors that come in. Um, so I'll stop here. We're at the prophetic dance. I'll stop here and um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, open it up for everybody else to chime in.